This morning, as we, well, this, this June, as we continue into the summer, we, we're continuing following the disciples' path and borrowing one of Pastor Minu's favorite ways of understanding our uh, lives of faith as a journey. So we're exploring the journey of disciples this summer and what it looks like to be a follower of Jesus. So we're turning to Matthew chapter 10, beginning at verse 24, but the background to this is Jesus is sending out disciples. These are their pre, this is, these are their pre-resurrection, pre-Easter test runs. He's sending them out two at a time, or two together, to go and to do the thing that he's going to have them do afterwards. So these are their, this is their test run discipleship. I say test run. They're still being disciples, still uh, being those proclaiming uh, the good news of Christ. But he's giving them instructions for the first time. And these are still instructions that uh, speak to us, and in, in perhaps if, in different ways, but they still speak to us about what it means to not just be followers of Jesus, but to be followers who proclaim our faith. So beginning at verse 24, a disciple is not above the teacher, nor a slave above the master. It's enough for the disciple to be like the teacher, and the slave like the master. If they are called the master of the house Beelzebub, Beelzebul, how much more will they malign those of his household? So have no fear of them, for nothing is covered up that will not be uncovered, and nothing secret that will not become known. What I say to you in the dark, tell in the light. What you hear whispered, proclaim from the housetops. Do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? Yet not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. And even the hairs of your head are all counted. So do not be afraid. You are of more value than many sparrows. Everyone, therefore, who acknowledges me before others, I also will acknowledge before my father in heaven. Whoever denies me before others, I will also deny before my Father in heaven. Do not think that I have come to bring peace to earth, to the earth. I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to set a man against his father, and a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And one's foes will be members of one's own household. Whoever loves father and mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever does not take up the cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Those who find their life will lose it. And those who lose their life for my sake will find it. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. I know those are really some uplifting words from Scripture. We'll come back around to those a little bit, but those are more about perspective. These are about shifting perspectives um, about what it means to be a follower of Christ. But I want to touch on this. Well, I want to tell a story. I want, about seven or eight years ago, we were on a, a trip with uh, Lori's whole family. Um, her, her parents had a 50th anniversary and took us on a trip. It's a wonderful thing. They're very generous people. So we go on a hike up this really pretty steep ridge, and I'm gung-ho, 
on, on stuff like that. I'm ready to go. I had my, I packed my hiking boots. I knew we, we were going to do this thing. So we went up this ridge and we were going up there and it was a struggle. It was work. We got to the top and then there's this building on top that, that there's this magnificent view out before us. So people are climbing up on top of the pillbox. I'm like, all right, I'm going to climb up on top of the pillbox and I got on top and I froze. I froze because all I could see was water and air. And about, a, I don't know, it felt like 2,000 feet. It was probably only 60, but I don't care. It was a lot of space between me and what I could actually see. I am terrified of heights. My grandfather painted homes and businesses and buildings for a living and had a terrible accident in, uh, when my mother was a small child. His partner didn't survive the accident, he did. So she had this vicarious fear of heights that anytime I got above three rings on a, three rungs on a ladder, oh, be careful. So, oh, I can't even watch a television show or a movie when somebody is precariously perched on the ledge and I don't feel it in the core of my being. The first time I was aware of that was at Camp Westview of the James. Our high school, our, our youth group had gone out there for a retreat and we did the, we're doing the lines thing and we're going out to do the zip line but you gotta go across these high wire things and I get, I'm like four feet out. I look, and I did the thing they tell you not to do. I looked down because I thought, I got this. Boom, I, I'm, I'm doing this on the wire the whole time. Those kinds of fears are a strange thing. That if you're not aware of them, they catch you off guard when they do. Even if you are aware of them, sometimes you don't even anticipate that feeling. And you do whatever your body does in response to that fear. I grew up with the, with the two main instinctual responses, fight or flight. They've added some more to those. One is freeze, think deer in the headlights, right? Driving down the road, you freeze. Another is fawn. This is in response to an ongoing threat and so you try to appease a person so as not to be a part of the, and that's more of a trauma fear uh, coming directly from another person. And I've heard another one described as that clinically um, so, but described by others as frenzy. So you go from deer in the headlights to squirrel on the road. So we have these responses to fear that we don't always understand. I was going to tell a story of my nephew, but I won't do it. I really want to, but I won't do it. I didn't ask permission first. Um, so we don't, we don't always understand what keeps us from from enjoying whatever it is that might be around us. When we face those, those fears, and I call them, in my mind, I think of them as um, just, I, I've lost the word, and I'm not going to find it fast enough to go for it, but just, you can't control it. You just can't control it. Unreasonable fear, that's the word I look Unreasonable. You're so afraid of something, and you just can't get past it. And some fears are good. Many fears are good. They're meant to be a... a uh, survival mechanism or safety mechanism to keep us out of harm's way, to keep us safe from whatever threats we, we might perceive around us. 
uh, harmful, harmful situations, whether physical, mental, or emotional. All of these things can evoke fear responses from us. Fear can even be a great motivator uh, to get something done. If I don't get this done, then this is a bad thing's gonna happen, or somebody's gonna think that, or somebody's gonna be disappointed. Oh my gosh. Who's motivated by fear of disappointing somebody else, right? But too often, our fears are exaggerated. Not imagined, but exaggerated. Adam Hamilton, he's a pastor, he's an author. He says that sometimes our fears are completely unfounded and he refers to them as false events appearing real, F-E-A-R. False events appearing real. We convince ourselves that it's real. I was on top of that structure, looking out at the water down below. And on the other side was a, it was a steep hill, don't get me wrong, but it was survivable and probably just would have bumped me up a little bit if for some reason I'd fall off the top of that thing. <clears throat> Not to mention that I had a 20 by 10 space I was standing on top of. I mean, I, I could fall over flat and it would have been fine. But it was a fear of events appearing, fear, uh, false event appearing real in that moment. And they keep us sometimes, however, from doing what we know we ought to be doing or could be doing or enjoying something as simple as a beautiful landscape. And it's clear when we turn to scripture that human beings have been afraid from the very beginning. We don't get far into the Bible. 66 whole verses in Genesis chapter 3, verse 10. At this point, Adam and Eve have eaten of the fruit and they're hiding because they know they're naked. And God's coming to look for them because they enjoy an afternoon walk every day. And God says, ask them, where are you? And <clears throat> Adam's response is, we're here, but I was, why are you hiding? As God's question, I was afraid. I was afraid, very beginning. 66 whole verses in the scripture, and we encounter the subject of fear. And it's not the last time. It shows up over 400 times if you, if you think of fear, terror, being afraid, in, in larger categories. For, over 400 times it's mentioned in scripture. And often, uh, well, and that's why one of the most frequent commands in scripture is what Mason and I were talking about. Do not be afraid. And some of those are jump scares. Boof. Messenger from God shows up out of nowhere. Yes, I think Mary had every reason to be afraid when Gabriel showed up to announce that she was going to have the baby. Absolutely. Do not be afraid. Okay, shh, I could be, all right. But outside of the jump scares, how do we live into this fearlessness that Jesus is describing for his disciples that allows them to live their faith out loud? living as rooftop Christians who, don't, who do more than whisper about their faith. <clears throat> In the today's passage, we heard Jesus' training of the disciples. It's an ongoing lesson as he's sending them out on that mission two by two to teach, to preach, to heal, and to minister in his name. And Jesus is warning them of what to be aware of of what to expect. And he certainly doesn't help matters. He's not trying to appease them in this moment. He's not trying to calm them. He's giving them a, a perspective on this is the 
way things might come. This is how things might be. <laughs> Expect arrest, persecution, betrayal, and hatred. But then he says, don't be afraid of these things. In these texts, looking at the, over, the overarching theme of fear holding us back from being fully whom God is calling us to be as his followers through Jesus Christ, there are no less than, and I'm just going to focus on three things that Jesus tells us to help us encounter that and then to move past that, that fear that keeps us from being rooftop, rooftop disciples. First is to remember who God is. In verse 28, Jesus tells the disciples not to fear what they may be facing. Rather, be afraid of the one who can destroy both soul and body in hell. I mean, that's terrifying, yeah. But the idea here that Jesus is trying to get across is, let's put the, your fear in perspective. Between these mortal beings and the one who has made heaven and earth. Let's put our fear in perspective, and more than our fear, as much as our fear, our trust in who God is. If God is calling us to go and to, to share Jesus and share God's love and mercy and forgiveness and salvation with the world around us, certainly God isn't going to leave us on our own to do it. Certainly, he's not going to leave us to ourselves. A lot of our fears are the results of focusing on self. If we're honest about it. Some, most of our instinctual ones are, that, that we're built that way. Once we learn something is hot, we don't want to the pain of the heat. We don't touch the stove kind of things because we're focusing on ourselves. But when we step outside of those instinctual fear responses, to the things that hold us back from fully embracing life, the, the abundant life that Christ has offered to us, learning to step outside of ourselves, to focus on the one who's called us, and on the power of the resurrection that God continues to pour out into the church. That wasn't just for that moment of Jesus' resurrection. It continues to be a part of who we are. It continues to propel the church in the world. It's how that small group of people became one of the dominant world faiths. It wasn't because of human will and, and work. It was because of the power of the resurrection that continues to be available to us to overcome whatever fear we may be facing. One, remember who God is. Two, remember who we are as children of God. Verses 20 through 31 might be are talked about. Even the very hairs of your head are all numbered, so don't be afraid. And then you are worth more than many sparrows. God even knows how many I used to have, much less how many I have now. God knows us that intimately, that deeply. The one who has created the heavens and the universe, the earth, and all that is within it, the seen and the unseen, knows us 
personally and deeply. And I love the times in text when it reminds us that he knows our name. He knows our, he knows our names. One of my favorite passages in Scripture is from Romans chapter 8, where Paul, where Paul writes, If God is for us, who is against us? He who did not withhold his own son, but gave him up for all of us, will he not with him also give us everything else? Who will bring any charge against God's people? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? It is Christ Jesus who died, yes, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed intercedes for us, who will separate, who will separate us from the love of Christ. Will hardship or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? No. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved, through him who loved us. <clears throat> for I am convinced that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor present nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. If we embrace this as true, and I believe it deeply, I believe it. We remember that's who we are in God's eyes. That nothing can separate us from his love in Christ Jesus. How many fears does that alleviate? And then last is to expect difficulties in life. It's spread all throughout that text. All these realities of the things that they are facing, the challenges they are facing. But in verses 34 and 35, Do not think that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I have not come to bring peace but a sword. For I have come to set a man against his father and a daughter against her mother and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law and one's foes will be members of one's old household and on and on and on. These horrible things. He's setting perspective. Bad things are going to come. How could God allow bad things to happen to good people or good Christians or whatever? How many times have you asked that question? I have asked that question a lot. But ultimately, the question, that question comes from a place of false expectations. That God will prevent bad things from happening from Jesus' followers. That's nowhere in Scripture. Nowhere in the Bible. We even get rain falls on the just and the unjust. Usually we interpret that as a negative, but in a Desert country, I actually think it was blessings fall on the just and the unjust because rain is a blessing in a dry region. However, the reverse is true. Bad things happen. There are whole books dedicated to that question, but it arises from the false expectation that if we're good people, why, well, bad things shouldn't happen to us. Whatever being a good person looks like, that is. What makes us think we're going to be exempt from those things? There shouldn't be anything. In fact, when following Jesus, not only are we not exempt from them, but he is telling the disciples and us that we can expect difficulties when following him. 
Jesus lays out pretty clearly what the disciples should expect in this life. But he also makes them and us aware that he gives us power and strength and hope to sustain us and carry us through life's challenges. Sometimes even if it means borrowing it from the other people around us. Jesus is urging his disciples to not hold back for fear. To go and do the thing that they have been called to do, to proclaim the good news, to minister, to heal, to teach, to be rooftop disciples, regardless of what happens around us. Bill and Gloria Gaither have written many wonderful songs, including some in our hymnal. One that Gloria wrote came while she was expecting a child, and the couple was going through some terrible problems. Bill Gaither had been seriously sick, and their music was being attacked as not being spiritual enough. And on New Year's Eve, Gloria was sitting in a dark room, experiencing one of those dark nights of the soul. She said, I sat alone in the darkness thinking about the rebellious world and all of its problems and our baby yet unborn. Who in their right mind would bring a baby into a world like this? She was at the height of her fear. But then something happened. She said, I can't quite explain what happened in that next moment, but suddenly I felt released from it all. The panic that had begun to build inside was gently dispelled by a reassuring presence. And a soft voice kept saying, don't forget the empty tomb. Don't forget the empty tomb. She then knew that she indeed could bring a baby into this world and face the future with optimism and trust, for she had been reminded that it was worth, that it was all worth it because, or just because he lives. And from that, she began to write these words. How sweet to hold a newborn baby and feel the pride and joy he gives, but greater still the calm assurance that child can face in certain days because he lives. Because he lives, I can face tomorrow. Because he lives, all fear is gone because I know he holds the future and life is worth living just because he lives. From that moment on, Bill and Gloria Gaither have continued to live their faith out loud, continued to live as rooftop Christians. And as we embrace the knowledge of God's grace, uh, greatness, accept who we are as God's children, and understand that while we are not exempt from life's challenges, God does not leave us alone to face them. May we cease to whisper our faith and yearn to proclaim it from the rooftops. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for calling us to a task that is greater than ourselves. The call of being a follower of your son is not meant to be a simple life. If it were, we could do it on our own, but it's not. It's more than that. And the only way to live it is with you. So, Lord, we ask you, send your spirit upon us that we might indeed proclaim our faith from the rooftops by living our faith out loud, by being followers individually and together collectively as this church of St. Stephen's that 
that might be a beacon of hope, of light, of mercy, forgiveness, and more to all as we all need it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.